How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today we're going to continue on our study of the book of Titus. So please grab your Bibles and notepads and pens and turn with me to the book of Titus. We're up to chapter 2. And uh, what we're going to be looking at today is, uh, as the title is, How to Live in this world how we should live in this world as there's a a lot of fear a lot of intimidation by the world a lot of oppression persecution and every form of way all around the world against the born-again christians against the servants of christ against the church how should we live in this present world what is the standard how should we go about this so this is what we're going to get into today in Titus chapter 2. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens and turn with me to Titus chapter 2. And of course, grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, come join us at the table as we go through this study. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this study at hand, please by all means go ahead, ask away. And uh, if it's not related to the topic at hand, though, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, as we want to try as much as we can to limit our rabbit trailing. Um, we don't always succeed very well in that, but we try. So, anyways, we try to just keep it on track, on topic, and uh, the topic today is Titus chap- chapter 2 and how we should go about dealing with the world in our reaction in our living in we are not of them we but we are amongst them but we are not of them of the world we are to be separate but uh yeah this leaves a lot of questions regarding this how should we go about this so we're going to see what the word of god has for us today all right so good morning good morning everybody thanks for joining in and yeah okay so Grab your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2, chapter, chapter, got my merds all wixed up, chapter, there we go, I haven't finished my coffee yet, so give me a break, okay, time to study the word of God, Titus chapter 2, verse 1, now as we see, and backing up a little bit in the context, It's so important to read not paying attention to the chapter-verse divisions. Now, I've gone over this. We're going to keep going over this. Repetition is the tool of the teacher. As you go over and over and over and over and over and you learn it, the chapter-verse divisions are not inspired by God. They are just an, an added tool to help in your studying in your research to be able to have a library of, of of knowing where certain bits and passages are located that's all they are chapter verse divisions are not inspired by god they 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 were not they were not written in when the these books were written they were not written in chapter verse divisions they're written as a solid letter as we see for example that the division of chapter 2 here where it's set in chapter 2 verse 1 it breaks the context it breaks the narrative of chapter 1 this is why yesterday we're going over this we read into chapter 2 we ignored the division 
because if we back up into chapter 1 and we take a look at verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So as we see what it's talking about, it's a continuance of the narrative. Talking about uh, those who uh, defile the faith, who fight against the faith, and th this th they may look good, they may look godly, but how can you tell what's the... Uh, what's, uh, uh, the difference, how can you tell the difference in the two? They say they love the Lord, but in works they they dishonor him, they deny him, being abominable, disobedient to every good work, reprobate, but speak thou. They say, they say they love the Lord, but how is it proven? How is it proven by the doctrine of faith, by, by what the word of God says? We hold ourselves to the faith, to the word of God. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now, there is a reason <laughs> why in the opening of this video i put this up trigger warning this video contains biblical content that progressives will find offensive <laughs> well because doctrine is a word is a term that the modern liberal progressive type absolutely hates they hate the idea of doctrine they hate the idea of sound doctrine they hate the idea of the word of god being the absolute and final authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith which is what it is is the word of god is just that the very word of god and it is above his very name and it is by how we understand the difference in the holy and the profane righteousness and unrighteousness not by our feelings our determinations our opinions because we deceive ourselves lie to ourselves delude ourselves on a regular basis we cannot trust ourselves we can't trust uh, that we, uh, the visions dreams experiences everything else that's going on we mess things up all the time and we you can't trust traditions and catechisms creeds and commentaries and councils which have so often contradicted themselves and proved themselves in error how can we trust ourselves? How can we trust others? How can we trust ourselves to get things right? We can't. There must be a standard that is above and beyond all, all of us and all things that never changes and that is of God himself. That is the word of God. The word of God, the scriptures are a final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. Sola Scriptura purely. Not the idea of sola scriptura by some where they say sola scriptura but then they're like but you also have to have all of our books to help you understand it that's not sola scriptura that's not sola scriptura sola scriptura is the word of god alone alone on the pedestal alone on the table you don't need everyone else's writings you don't need everyone else's ideas and teachings and all this stuff but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Man does not teach sound doctrine. As Jesus would say, you teach for doctrines, they're traditions of men. We don't create, speak, or figure out doctrine ourselves. God's doctrine, which is what's on the page, is what it says, what it means. That's the doctrine of God. Sound doctrine of soundness of mind is of God and God alone not not uh, man's ideologies and writings and everything else so 
but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Why? Because all these others that say they love the Lord, who dishonor him by their works and everything else, they say they love the Lord. They say, they say, man says, the people say, but God says, the people say, but God says. You see the difference? How to truly live in this present evil world is you must choose you this day whom you will serve. Who is going to be, a pen just exploded. Who's going to be your final authority? Who's going to be guiding you in all these things? Whose truth are you going to follow? Just like my pen, we, we often lose our head and we, we fall apart and uh, we, we break under pressure. We can be in error. We can have uh, cracks in our doctrine, cracks in our ideology. We can fall apart. Our ideas fall apart. And take a look at people all down through time. How many times they've been proven wrong when they start preaching, I think, I feel, I believe, or writing in their own books, their own authorities, and given enough time, they're proven false by the word of God. The word of God stands true. It stands the test of time. It is preserved unto all generations. God has magnified his word above his very name. And speaking of which, you know what? Just for the record, we're actually going to go over these very things. I know we've gone over this before. We're going to go over it again. God is not the author of confusion. So it starts by understanding that there are no lost books, lost texts, lost manuscripts of scripture. Now, I just did this list in uh, the previous uh, short little video I, I did uh, this morning. We're going to go over it again it's so applicable to this because how can we say here's a question how can we say that we love the word of god and we believe the word of god and that we believe that the word of god is the truth of our doctrine if we think there are lost books lost texts lost manuscripts of scripture or that there's contradictions in the word of god or that we don't actually have to hold to the word of god as strictly as the word of God says. For example, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Okay. Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 to 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The word of God is preserved unto all generations. It's, the words of the Lord are pure and preserved unto all generations. Ours aren't. Our ideas, our books, our catechisms, our creeds, our commentaries, our, our uh, workings are not. Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Psalms 138, verse 2. Now, this one is extremely powerful. Psalms 138, verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. 
All right. This is the spirit of the living God speaking through the writer, telling him what to write. This is the Lord speaking here, telling us that the word of God, the Lord's words are preserved unto all generations and are even magnified above his very name. Okay. How high and holy is the name of Jesus Christ? Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Because it's the word of God that teaches us about the Son of God. To understand who the Son of God is, you've got to go to the word of God. The word of God is that, is that which dictates truth. The word of God is that which tells us what is true. The word of God is what teaches us about Christ. The word of God is what teaches about the true God and what righteousness is and what sin is. The word of God is above the very name of God. Really think about that one, folks. So to speak those things which become sound doctrine, as we see in today's passage, Titus 2 verse 1, speak the things which become sound doctrine, you got to understand that which is sound doctrine. Now let's take a look at another. Psalms 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Psalm 119, 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. God preserving them all generations. Psalm 119, 160. The word, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Now that's yod and tittel. Now what this means is the smallest little marks in the Hebrew and the smallest little marks in the Greek won't even fade away. God will preserve every single thing, even from the yod and the tetel, which is the smallest marks in Hebrew and the Greek, were preserved by God into all generations and is magnified above his very name. Luke 16, verse 17, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. So, okay. The word of God is powerful, it's preserved, is held, is seen, is known, Unto all generations, held by God, preserved by God, controlled by God, given by God, spoken by God, taught by God, and he even magnifies it above his very name. Sound doctrine. So the question is, who do we think we are to assume that the word of God is not our absolute and final authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith and in life. To think that I could go by my reason, my logic, my thinking, my intellect, my feelings, my opinions, would that not then literally be equivalent to saying, yea, has God truly said? I feel, I think, I believe. 
I don't feel that we really have to take it that seriously. No, I, 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 I believe that in the Word of God, you know, it's great for for religion, but in regular life, you know, I need to choose. I need to control. I just feel that you know that that you're you're taking things way too seriously, too legalistically, or whatever. No, no, show me by the Word of God how I'm wrong. Well, judge not <laughs> after the appearance, but judge, but judge righteous judgment. So we see. In chapter 2, verse 1, speak the things which become sound doctrine. So by that, we must define what is sound doctrine according to God's standard, not ours. By this, then, what is sound doctrine? Because we can, you know, put our heads together and we can reason and logic and we can... Uh, really think about, meditate on, and, and our philosophies, and psychology, and our education, and our learning, and all those. We, we can come up with, with, with great-sounding ideas, and with a lot of reasonings and things. But does sound doctrine come from us in any way, shape, or form? No. Does sound doctrine come from church tradition? No, that's man's traditions, which is not God's traditions, man's traditions. Does sound doctrine come from our reasoning and intellect? No. Comes from God alone. Comes from God alone. So when we see this here, then, backing up and taking Titus 1.16 into chapter 2, verse 1, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. And we explored that. We explored that. What, what are the works that they are doing? What are the works that are dishonoring? As you see, being disobedient. To what? To who? It's disobedient and denying the word of the Lord. That's what that is. That, that they they see what the word of God says, but Romans 1, 18 to 25, they, they don't like what it says in some way, shape, or form. It goes against something in their life that they're trying to hold on to, and they rebel against it, even, even to certain, certain different levels of degrees. But the fact of the matter is, is that they do rebel against the word of God. They fashion a God of their own imagination. Well, I believe that God would do... I just feel that the Lord is... They fashion a God of their own imagination. That will adhere to their doctrine. As you see, for example, in the modern liberal churches, the progressive churches, where they read the Word of God, but they don't really believe it. They interpret it according to their feelings. I have my truth. You have your truth. Hate that so much. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. I hate that. I have my truth. You have your truth. It's so stupid. They profess that they know God. Well, just in this, for example, as we just explored the 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 bunch of passages there that we just read that tell us what the Word of God is and where it came from, how how it teaches us of the true God and how He magnifies it above His very name. Well, how can you know God 
if you're not believing the word of God as your absolute authority, if it's open to uh, open to question, if it's open to interpretation, I have my interpretation. You have your inter. If it's open to interpretation, how can any of us actually know the real, the true, real, living God then? If it's open to interpretation and it's and, and any one of us can come with a different understanding then no one can know who the lord really is well how do you know that it's all true well then it's it though you say well you don't accept this bit, bit this story over here is true that it actually happened but i believe it happened well what's truth then truth is relative truth is relative god is whatever you want god is open to interpretation god's righteousness is open to interpretation god's doctrines are open to interpretation sin is up to interpretation see what happens they profess that they know god they call themselves Christians. They call themselves religious. They call themselves lovers of God, lovers of Christ. They say they love the Lord. They carry the Bible. They go to church. They do all the things, all this stuff. But then they, they wind up crying, Lord, Lord. Matthew 7, 21 and 23. They wind up crying, Lord, Lord. It, exactly, Melissa. It's a dangerous game. Playing games with the word of God. I, now, this is what it is. Either either is only one of two options there is no middle nebulous gray area middle ground there's no fence to walk on either the word of god is all true from genesis to revelation it's all true or none of it is god doesn't play 50 50. god doesn't play games he is not the author of confusion and and giving even the remote license to that well what if well, i don't know um, oh, and bringing up the word of god uh, uh, putting it uh, on the on the table and questioning the veracity of it and questioning that the stories and the teachings and these things all done through it saying well i don't know about this i don't know about that well maybe this i don't know about that you are literally calling God a liar and saying God is the author of confusion. You are literally saying, yea, hath God truly said. Questioning the veracity of God. God says he preserves it unto all generations. It's preserved forever. It's held forever, endures forever. It's above his very name to question the veracity of the word of God, you then are questioning the veracity of Jesus Christ. Because the word of God tells us about Jesus Christ. How do you know for sure that he actually is who he says he is? How do you know for sure that Jesus actually is God? How do you know that Jesus Christ is the son of God? How do you know he actually went to the cross, shed his blood, died, was buried, rose again third day? How do you know that salvation is by grace through faith and belief alone? How do you know that this is what it is? How do you know this? You can't know anything. They say they love the Lord, but it works they dishonor him. They're professing, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Because they change the glory of God into their own interpretation. 
They changed God into a God of their own imagination because they don't like what the Word of God says. Because there's something in Scripture that goes against their own feelings, their own intellect, their own uh, understanding. It goes against something in their life, their entertainment, that there's something in their life that the Word of God opposes, and they don't like that, so they water it down, twist it, change it, omit it, ignore it, fight against it, rebel against it, and, and thus they change the truth of God into a lie. Either God is all true or not at all. There is no middle ground. You cannot say you cannot say you hold to sound doctrine if you question the veracity of Scripture even remotely. Just saying. You say you love the Lord, but in works you're dishonoring Him, being disobedient. Now, as we see, it's not just live. It's not just believe in sound doctrine. It's not just believe in sound doctrine, which a lot of people do is that they'll hear it and they'll believe it, but they won't speak it. They won't speak it. They won't live it. They'll sit in the pew. They'll sit in the pew. They'll shout amen. They'll raise their hand, they'll nod in agreement, they'll have their Bible, they'll have it all underlined, highlighted, all the rest, but they will refuse to speak it because they're afraid. Because they're ashamed on some level, because they fear what others might say, what others might do, and they'll, they'll just keep it to themselves. Private Christianity, secret Christianity, that their neighbor doesn't know, their co-workers don't know, other people around them don't know. And when, when they say or do things around them, they'll just stay silent, keep themselves, and they won't, they won't rock the boat. They won't do anything to, to bring attention to themselves, that they just live the life of a Christian in pure secrecy. They won't live it, they won't speak it, they won't do it, but they'll believe it. They're a Christian. They're a born-again Christian. Your Christianity, your, your born-again salvation is not hinged upon your behavior, but your discipleship is. Your discipleship is hinged upon your obedience, but not your salvation. But it says here, but speak. Speak. Not just think. Not just believe. But speak. So, but this goes into a deeper question, though. Because when you truly, truly, truly believe something, you won't be afraid to speak it. You won't be. You won't be afraid to speak your mind. You want a great example of this? I'm Canadian, so I can I can poke my finger at my American friends. But for example, you take a look at the Americans. Their, their beliefs in the Constitution and their freedoms and their liberties and their rights. They're really vocal about their beliefs on that. And they'll be sure to tell you what they think about it. They'll tie you up in knots about all their rights and liberties and freedoms and everything. They're not afraid to stand for that. They're not afraid to stand for their rights and liberties and freedoms, which we have none in Canada. But but you see, the point is, when you truly believe something, you're not afraid to speak up about it. So this begs a question. 
how much do you believe the word of God? Because it, it does go to show by how much you actually speak about it. How much, uh, how, how much you are vocal about it. You act upon it. You say you love the Lord. What are ways that we can prove it? What are ways that we can prove it, especially in this present evil world? How can we prove? Well, the first, firstly, it's, as we see by this, the confession of faith. Uh, the, the, to confess with your mouth the belief of your heart, you're born again saved. We see confession, speaking the truth. We call upon the Lord and we, we confess his name and faith and belief for salvation from our sins. And then we shut up. That that was enough. That was enough. That's sufficient. You know, that's all. That's good enough. And then we just keep to ourselves. But the Lord calls us to be ever ready. As you see, for example, if we go over to First Peter chapter three. Take your Bible. Go to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three, and we go down to verse fourteen. First Peter chapter three, verse fourteen. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Okay. But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. In this world you shall suffer persecution. They'll hate you because of me. You'll suffer tribulation. Wait a minute. But that will only happen if you are speaking up for the things of the Lord. And therein is the crux of the matter. Therein is the crux of the matter. You see, the majority of born-again Christians, especially in our modern, triggered, emotional, SJW, soy boy, progressive, liberal, Democrat society, that was a mouthful, uh, we see that the majority of Christians are absolutely petrified of being vocal for the Lord. They don't want to bring they want they don't want to bring attention to themselves. They don't want to get the the blue-haired Karens coming down on them or whatever else coming down on them and screaming in their face and drawing attention, all this kind of thing. And that it's just easier just to be quiet. It's easier just to float along and blend into the crowd and just just blend in. Don't do anything. Don't rock the boat. Don't draw attention to yourself. And you just float, do it all your stuff, and people will smile and nod. But if you say anything, they'll frown and curse you out. And oh, I don't want that. People are so afraid of other people. The fear of man overrides the fear of God. You say you love the Lord, but you care more about what people think than what God thinks. You you say you love Jesus Christ, but you won't share him for the for the life of you. You won't share him. Because what what if they don't like him? What, what, what if they don't like my Jesus? What if they get upset? What if they curse me out? What if they throw something or get mad or curse me? Or what if what if you know they start screaming all kinds of things and call the police on me? What if I get in trouble? What if I get in trouble for Jesus? Oh no, wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Oh no, you might actually have to put your money where your mouth is. Oh no. 
No, you might actually have to prove that you're actually a Christian to your fellow man. You might actually have to stand for Jesus. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the, to the Greek, uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means to put the Lord ever first in all things. And everything that you even in eating and drinking and in all conversation, all things that your speech should be salted with grace. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, there's just a question here. It says that they would come and ask you a reason of the hope that is in you. What is drawing them to you? What is causing them to come and ask you about the hope that is in you? Specifically, they're asking you about what you believe and, and what is molding your behavior because you are so different. So we see not just speaking, but doing. Be not just hearers of the word only, but doers also, as it says in James. Be not just hearers of the word only, but doers also. So you're not just speaking it, you're doing it. You're putting it into practice. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. So, it, so therefore, the logic of this then is, if you are refusing to speak up, if you are refusing to be public about your faith, you then are not sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. You say you love the Lord, but you're lying. You're actually deceiving yourself. You're actually being disobedient. You're actually being reprobate regarding this command i'm just i'm just reading the passage here folks i'm just reading the passages and i'm just putting them together and this is just what it's saying they say they love the lord but in works they dishonor him it's just you are literally i'm saying you in a general sense i'm not picking on anybody individual any individual person i'm just being general that just in regards to the context here that if you are refusing to speak up you're refusing to live it you're refusing to be public about it you are by definition then being dishonorable to the lord you're bringing dishonor in him you're shaming the faith shaming christ you're you are then ashamed of jesus christ you fear man more than god and you're being a reprobate right in interpreting it that way you tell me you tell me am i right or am i wrong going by that logic this reasoning by the passages that we're reading would that not then would that not then be the implication of what it's saying what it's implying 
on the inverse that if you are refusing to speak up if you're not living it not speaking it this is then what you are doing so a desire then as you see but by the commandment but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in your meekness of fear. Having a good conscience. Yeah. My conscience then would be defiled because I, I'd be ashamed of the Lord. I'm ashamed of this. Now, what this means by being ashamed is you are too afraid, too weak. You are too broken. To speak up, you are ashamed to speak up about it because uh, because you're afraid of the kind of retribution that could be brought on you. You are not bold in the faith. You're weak and cowardly in the faith. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And But this is the problem. This is the problem. I've talked about this. So many professed Christians who have even been saved for years. They've been saved for years. Don't know how to debate the faith. That when the limelight comes on them, they shrivel up. They've been sitting in church for countless hours, reading the Bible for countless hours, hearing sermons for countless hours, been believers for many years, and the moment the attention comes on, they shrivel up. They don't know how to give a good answer. They don't know how to debate the faith. They don't know how to competently preach and teach the faith. Because as it says, whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. But that's the problem is so many Christians don't know how to have a good conversation about the faith publicly. I'm not talking about with with one-on-one with friends or in a group of friends at church or we could talk for hours i'm talking about when the pressure comes on when you're out in public and you're talking to an unsafe person on the street corner grocery store wherever else and there's other people around is that that we shrivel up and are so cowardly and scared and pathetic when it comes to the pressure we just crumble we just break our brains go numb and blank and you can't remember the verses and you start stuttering and sweating hands go clammy and you're all afraid and and in the moment when the pressure's on you can't reason you can't think and all this and that they're asking the questions and they're coming back with whatever else that they have and you just can't for the life of you i'm sorry you've been saved for how long and you can't hold a good conversation in Christ Jesus publicly? For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well doing than for evil doing. You see, the problem is, is we care too much about ourselves. We care too much about our feelings, our comfort. But to live in this present evil world, 
We need to learn how Christ can live through us in this present evil world. Not us live. See, this is where we've twisted it around. We've made it about us. We've made it about us. How we, as individual persons, should live in this world. And I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. But no, it's not about us. We're supposed to be dead. Dead to self. Dying to self. That Christ lives through me. How to present Christ. How for how Christ can live through me. Not me live. Him live. I'm irrelevant. How to trust that Christ will give me the answer in the very moment. Uh, worry not what to say beforehand. Do not even premeditate what to say beforehand. For it will be given you in the very same hour what to say. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. I will give you the words in the very same hour. But we take that away from God. And and we wring the hands and worry and fear and stress and fret about what the world might do to the church and to the services and the platforms and the accounts and the witnessing and everything else. And, and the, you know, what if I speak up, you know, all the, the kind of punishments that could be brought on because people get all triggered. We spend too much time in fear and worry. We spend too much time stressing and fretting. We spend too much time being anxious when the Lord says to have none of that. Because what we are by definition doing is saying that the Lord is incompetent. The Lord is incompetent. The Lord is not able. But the Lord failed. The Lord did not help me. The Lord was not with me. The Lord forsook me. The Lord cast me away. The Lord abandoned me. The Lord did not teach me what to say, even though he said he would. That the Lord did not keep his promise that if I abide in him, his word abides in me, that he will be able to help me whatever I need. He That the ask you shall receive, seek you shall find, knock you shall be opened, is false. Either it's all true or not at all. Either it's all true or not at all. You say you have doctrine, but is it sound? You say you have faith, but is it sound? You say you love the Lord Jesus Christ, but is it sound faith? You say his word is upon your mind, but do you have soundness of mind? You say you are rooted in the faith, but is it sound groundedness? You say you're a born-again Christian. But are you really? Examine yourself. Because if you won't speak up and you won't live the faith, examine yourself to see if you are. Your salvation is not hinged upon your obedience. Your salvation is not hinged upon your proselytization. Your salvation is not hinged upon your works and righteous works and law keeping and all the rest of it. But your discipleship is. But your closeness in fellowship is. But the power is. For, for the kingdom is not in word but in power as it says. It's in power. 
the power of God unto salvation, the power of the word. It's not just empty words. It's not just a knowledge war. It's not just dry doctrine. It's truths from the mouth, the spirit, the mind of the living God. The Lord says, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Do you even know what doctrine is? Doctrine is the teachings, the teachings, the instructions, the truths of the word of God. Like the doctrine of the deity of Christ, the doctrine of the cross, the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of faith, the doctrine of repentance, the doctrine of regeneration. These are the teachings of what the word of God has to say on these things. You say you love the Lord, but can you prove it? It's more than just being nice to your fellow man and loving one another like hippies. It's more than just helping the poor, going to church, reading your Bible. Any dog and his brother can do all good stuff. Anyone, anyone can by appearance can look like, sound like a disciple of Jesus Christ. Anyone can do that. It goes much deeper than the outward, than the physical. It goes much deeper than the than the physical works. It goes much deeper than the, the physical fruits. It goes much, 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 much deeper than the actions. It goes down to the core, to the heart, to the belief of faith. When you truly believe in something, you speak about it. When you truly love someone, you speak about them. You can't shut up about them. You defend them when their honor is slighted. You will risk, you will want to and desire to risk life and limb for your family. What about Jesus Christ? Or do you abandon him when the, when the fire starts growing? Do you go silent and you abandon the Lord Jesus Christ? You abandon the faith when the pressure comes on. When the world starts getting upset. When the pagan laws and rules are made against against the witness and worship of Jesus Christ, do you crumble under that pressure? Or like the like the disciples, do you stand up, square your shoulders? We ought to be God rather than men, and you'd be willing to put put your your safety, your rights, your liberties, your freedoms, all this. You put it all on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ, like the prophets, the apostles, the disciples like our Lord did or do you want to have just one one of those safety salvations where you believe in the Lord you're saved and then you just keep to yourself you got your ticket you're all good you're saved but it ends there because well we just need to love just love one another and love everybody as long as we just love and just love and we just get along and just love and just don't rock the boat and you just love them they'll want to become you because of your love second opinions chapter three but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine we're supposed to speak up and preach the gospel preach the gospel we're told to declare the faith we are told to give reason 
We are told to sanctify the Lord God and do, and do the works of an evangelist to show them the truth, not just in word, but in power. So they'll want to come and because it convicts them. It shows them that they, when they look at you and they see the evidence, the Spirit of God convicts them, convicts them to their core. And they see this and they think of their sin. They see the Savior and they feel the weight of sin and they feel the shame and they feel that pressure. And they come they say, she tell me about Jesus. Well, uh, uh, he, it just you know, the Bible says he went to the cross for your sins, and so you could be saved from what? From from your sin because you're going to hell. What? What do you mean? I don't understand. Well, here, here, here's a pamphlet. Come to church on Sunday and my pastor will tell you because I'm too much of a coward to actually do the work myself. I just put all the weight and all the onus on him. Or the, well, just ask Jesus in your heart. Here, one, two, three, repeat after me and you'll be saved. You don't need any knowledge of the cross or knowledge of sin or any of that. You just, just one, two, three, repeat after me. Just say this magic incantation prayer and you'll be all good. Where's the depth? Where's the depth of the faith? Where's the depth of salvation? Where's the depth of the cross? Where's the depth of the blood? Where's the depth of the name of Jesus Christ? You call yourself a Christian. Where's the power? Now there's one. Let's just let's just explore that one just for a moment. We may even have all the words. We may we may have done the study. We may have learned the verses, memorized, commit to memory. We devote ourselves to the Lord, but there's no power. Now what do I mean by power? The presence of God in the matter. The presence of God. That when you pray, things happen. That when you speak the word of God, it convicts the hearers. That it's not you who speak, but the spirit of God that speaks through you. That the, that the, the power of faith is there. That when you witness to the individual, they fall under such great weight of conviction. And they hang upon every word coming out of your mouth. And you speak in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're brought under conviction. And they call upon the Lord. They get saved. Or if it's another saint, when you speak and you work around them, it encourages them. It strengthens them. It convicts them. And it brings them to the power of the faith again. Where is the power? Where's the power? Or is it just words only? Is it just the actions? You're just going through the motions like some monk. Where is the power? Where's the power of the Holy Ghost? It goes deeper than just studying the doctrines. And it goes deeper than just having the knowledge. You may have all the knowledge and no power. What good are you? What good is that? That gives no no credence to the faith. That gives no justification to the faith. That doesn't prove anything. Any dog and his brother can grab a book and learn and read it and memorize the contents. But it takes a true disciple to show the power. The conviction. The sanctification of Christ Almighty in your life. 
the sanctification of the Holy Ghost working on your heart and your mind, your hands and your feet, that what you do and what you say, that, that it radiates out and starts revivals. This is how we're supposed to live in this present world. More than just word only. More than just the buildings and the stained glass and the tapestry. Where is the sound doctrine? The soundness of God upon your life. Godliness. Holiness. It's more than just behavioral characteristics. Then we go through the list that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands and love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. We read that and we see that as just maintenance of outward appearance just be a good christian i'm sorry but obedience doesn't convict of sin obedience does not convict of faith every catholic proves that point every orthodox proves that point where they're in all behavior, all their actions, all the outward, all, all the words, all, all in appearance. They, they look good, sound good, and all this kind of thing, but there's no power. Because it's not about the outward. It's not about the outward. It's not about the doing and not doing, per se. That the actions don't come from the hands, the actions come from the heart. Let's go back and take a look at this. Mark chapter 12. Now I want, I want to walk you through this. Look at this. Look at this. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 29. They ask him, which is the first uh, commandment of all. Now listen to this. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, now, let's just take this one bit of a time. What I'm, what I'm trying to seek to do today here is I'm trying to stoke a fire of conviction. I'm trying to stoke a fire in you. I'm trying to bring you under conviction. Whether saved or unsaved, I'm trying to bring you under conviction of the faith. If you're saved, to stir up the faith within you. If you're unsaved, to help you to see and show you and understand what the faith is. Now look at this. The Lord our God is one Lord. Now I want you to say that. I want you to say it. Out loud. The Lord our God is one Lord. Now I want these words to roll off your tongue and hit your heart. I want you to think about this. The Lord our God. Is he really? You say he is. You say the words, but is there meaning? Is there weight? Do you understand what this means? That there is a God. His name is Jesus. He made all things. He helped, he helped, he helped draw me and he saved me and he made me. This is truth. There is a God and I can know him and this is his name and this is what he is. 
He is he, he, one Lord, one God. This is who he is. Now, not just knowledge of God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. You say you love him, but do you understand what love is? What is love? What is love? Do you love the Lord like a buddy? He's your buddy, your best of buddies. He hangs out with you, and he does stuff with you. You thank him for your meal. He's your buddy. Do you love him like a buddy? Or you have more of an intimate relationship that, you know, like a family member. He, he's, your, he's your father, which he, which he is the father. He is closer than a brother. He is our friend, yeah. But is he just that? Does he just does he stay there? Is he a family member? He's close. But, you know, like family members, you say, hey, you, know, you talk once in a while and, you know, you live in the same home, like your family, and you see them once in a while and you, when something's really going down, you kind of go to them. Or, or does it go deeper than that? What's your relationship with him like? What is, how would you define your level of love of Jesus Christ? Or is it an intimate, close meaningful relationship where you hang off of him you love him you go to him in everything you bring him with you in everything you can't stand to be without him he's on your mind your heart all times because he's your lord savior your father your god who saved you from the condemnation of your sins by sheer mercy and grace when you were a child of the devil, he saved you, changed you, made you new by sheer grace and mercy. And he, he adopted you into his family, gave you a new name, holds you in his hand, seals you by his blood, seals you by his spirit, stands by your side, says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never be left alone. I'll never betray you. I'll never hurt you. I'll, I'll never confuse you. I'll teach you all things. I'll empower you. And you'll be with me forever for all eternity. Do you love the living God? Do you love him? Because going by the definition of your love, if it's just the, the love of a buddy, the love of a family member, or the love of the living God, it will go to show by the kind of love that is physically portrayed. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Do you really? Or do you keep certain parts of your life and your heart to yourself? God, you can, you can have you can have the living room, Lord, but you can't have this part. Lord, you can have this section of my life, but not this bit. This part behind the door, Lord, that's mine, and you're not allowed to go there. Lord, you, you get the church. You get the prayer meeting. Lord, you get the morning devotion and the meals. I get the rest of the day. You know, don't, don't, as Leonard Ravenhill says, but don't infringe upon me too much, Lord. Or do you die to self and you surrender absolutely everything? Every nook, every cranny, every, every, every crack in the wall, every shelf, every door, every room, every window, every shadow, every article, everything, everything about your life in heart, mind, body, soul, spirit is surrendered to the Lord because you want to, because you love him that much. You'd be willing to give up anything and everything. And I mean anything and everything. You'd be willing to. That's how much you love him. What kind of love do you love the Lord Jesus Christ with? 
Now again, folks, I am not talking about salvation. I'm talking about discipleship. Salvation is that we see that we are a sinner, that there is a God and his name is Jesus, and he so loved us that uh, the weight of our sins have separated us from the relationship with our Lord, and we must be renewed. But because we're sins, our sins have caused us to fall away, that all are, all have sinned, all have fallen away, all have become corrupt, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we are condemned in the weight of our sin. But he's not willing that any should perish, but he made a way of salvation because he so loved us, he gave himself for us, because the, way, the wages of sin is death, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, and he went to the cross for our salvation. He shed his blood and died as the lamb sacrifice for sins he gave himself as the lamb of god uh, for the atonement of the whole world because he so loved us that uh, he shed his blood and died was buried rose again the third day according to the scriptures because he is god and there is none else god purchased the church with his own blood acts 20 28 and that if we call upon the name of the lord jesus christ we will be saved because that's what it says confession of the belief of the heart romans 10 9 to 10 but it's by grace the unmerited favor of god by believing faith you are saved and not of yourselves it's a gift of god not of works as any man should boast we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is what the word of God says. Jesus Christ said he so loved us. He gave himself for us. That if we believe on him for our salvation, he will save us. He will, His spirit will indwell us. Our sins will be washed away. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be washed whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be washed white like wool. Is what the Lord says. And it says, if we believe on him, he'll, his spirit will indwell us, he'll seal us, he'll hold us unto the day of redemption, and that all of our sins will be washed away. He's our Savior, our Redeemer, our King, by grace through faith, by belief alone. But now I'm talking about obedience, I'm talking about discipleship, I'm talking about loving the Lord your God. He saved you from the fires of hell. If you truly want to know the depth of the love of Jesus Christ, hang your face over the precipice of hell for five minutes. I'm, ta I'm telling you, you, open your ears and listen to the screams. Feel the flames. Feel the heat. Smell the smoke. And feel the wrath of God upon the condemnation of sin. And now look up at Jesus Christ and you see the love of Christ in his eyes because he's looking upon you who he saved. Because you believed on him. You called upon him and he pulled you out of the fire and he gave you a new name. Now look at him in that light. Tell me you don't love him with every fiber of your being. That you wouldn't be willing to sacrifice all for his name. You, you wouldn't be willing to give all to his name. Look at what he saved you from. Look at where he pulled you out of sound doctrine. I'm talking about passion, folks. I'm talking about zealousness. I'm talking about fervency. I'm talking about true sincerity of heart, not hands, of heart, not head. I'm talking about heart, that out of your heart flows the springs of living water. If any man drink of this water that I shall give him, he'll never thirst again, but out of him shall flow springs of living water, that it just naturally comes as a byproduct of your love of the Lord Jesus Christ, because you truly do love him with your mind, your heart your body soul and spirit with all your strength this is the first and greatest commandment command of god and this true love of the lord jesus christ will be seen unto your neighbor as it says in the second and namely is this i shall love thy neighbor as thyself for there's no other commandment greater than these 
to, uh, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ will flow into them because you'll be going to them in the love of Christ because you want them to be saved. And you want them to see the Lord Jesus Christ as you see him. And Jesus opened his eyes and he beheld, he says, I behold trees, men walking like, like trees. And Jesus heals his eyes even more. He says, I see clearly. Do you see blurry? Do you only see people like trees? They're just people walking around, but you have no conviction. You don't really see them for who they are. You don't see the lost souls. You feel no conviction about them going to hell. You have no conviction about hell. No conviction of righteousness publicly. You can walk the streets with no conviction. You feel nothing for the lost. You feel nothing for the Lord Jesus Christ. You hardly witness. You hardly speak. You hardly do anything. Do you actually truly love them? Are you truly thankful for him saving you from hell? Or is it just a tip the hat to God? Yeah, thanks for saving me, God. I'll take it from here. Or do you fall before his, his, his feet, you prostrate before him, and you call him Lord, and you cry tears of thankfulness, and you pour this heart of thankfulness unto others? Do you truly see him, folks? How do you see him? How do you know him? You say you love him. Do you really? Do you really? Or do you betray him when the going gets tough? Do you abandon him when the pressure is brought on? When the fire of hell's turned up, do you wither and die? Does your faith go out the window when things get tough? When people start cursing you out or oppressing you, persecuting you, or whatever else, or whatever this world can pour upon you, true love doesn't die. You would never deny him. You say you wouldn't. But you abandon church when the weather gets bad. But you make every excuse. But but you drag your feet. But you don't carry the tracks. But you don't speak. You hardly pray. You hardly read. You hardly think. You're so distracted by every, every single uh, glint um, of the tinsel of this world you're distracted and you hardly give your mind to him you hardly spend time with him do you truly love him how would you describe your relationship with jesus christ how would you describe your relationship you say you're a disciple do you even know the meaning of the word do you even know what that means Oh, I'm a disciple, but I'm not willing to give anything up, really. I, I, I'm going to keep my traditions, my, my entertainments, my hobbies, my interests, my life, my rules, my call. I'm a disciple. Are you really? A disciple is like the disciples. What did they do? They sat at the feet of Jesus. They walked with them and everything that they did. He was with them. He was about them. He was on their hearts, on their minds. He was uh, at their very hands. Everywhere they went, everything they did. And then they went and spoke about him. They acted upon it publicly. They took the ridicule from the Pharisees. They were open and blatant and honest and sincere and zealous. They went to their deaths for him. We'll hardly go to church for him. We'll hardly carry him to work. We hardly speak to him. That he sits, sits at the table, watching the watch, so to speak, longing for you to come, longing for you to sit there. And he's like, well, the, uh, may, maybe at five o'clock? Because they're not really going to talk to me at work. Oh, well, they said something about, you know, thanks for the food before they 
uh, stuck their face and then they forgot about me again. Oh, they had a conviction of speaking, but uh, they didn't. Are you really a disciple? Do you truly love him? Do you, uh, do you even know the meaning of sound doctrine? And there's so many out there who think sound doctrine just means be, being really, really knowledgeable. That, that you can just re recite off you know, all the terms and things. All the principles. You, you, can, you can cite and quote all, all of the, the topics and the fancy orthodox names and terms and titles. Oh, yeah, I'm sound. You're not sound. You just know a lot. That's not faith. Faith is trusting the Lord. <coughs> excuse me. That even if you have no idea what to say, it doesn't shake you. Because you know that the Spirit of God will give you the words of which to say in the very same moment. Miracles. The signs, the wonders, the power, the presence of God that he will give you. The understanding will give you the meaning, he'll give you the faith, he'll give you the words, he'll give you the ability to show you where to go, what to do, because you bring everything to him, and you hear God speak and show and guide in everything that you do. He's in everything. Because you give everything. And you don't worry about anything. Because he's there. The presence of God upon you. That when people see you, hear of you, and think of you, they think, disciple. They think servant of God. They hear the word of God. They know that you're go you're, you're going to bring the power of God into this. Then they can look to you for the answer of the word of God. You become an inspiration. You become a stoker. You're a preacher, an evangelist. You're a testifier of Christ. You're a disciple of the living God. You're more than just a child of God. You see, so many Christians are content to just be a child of God. Where they stay in the safety of their crib, so to speak. As long as they don't have to climb out of the crib. As long as they don't have to do anything. I'm a child of God. Yeah, you still need your soother. You still need to be fed the baby bottle of the milk of the word. Because you can't stand the meat of the word. Like a, like a 50 year old baby. You're a child of God, but there's no maturity. There, there's, there's no determination. There's no dogmatism. There's no, there, there's no boldness like a lion, wisdom like a serpent, harmless as a dove. That, that you're, you're content to just be a child, a little kid in the faith. Yes, you have, have faith like a child, but not maturity like a child. That, uh, uh, faith like a child in that whatever the Lord says, that's it. You don't question it. You don't try to reason around it. Make excuses for Just what he says, that's it. I believe that without question. But you have the maturity of a warrior. Like Moses, Gideon. Like Elijah on Mount Carmel. Like the disciples standing before the, the Sanhedrin. We have to be God rather than men. A boldness, a warrior for the Lord. A disciple of the living God. A child of the Lord, you are you're a child of the Lord, but you're a mature child of God. You're a priest of the temple. 
You, you carry the tabernacle. You carry the ark of Christ. You carry him with you. And he guides you through all things. You don't worry about anything. That the, when the Lord speaks, that's the law. That's what it is. And you'll die on that hill. Where is the love of the living God? Where is the love of the living God? Where is soundness of faith? Soundness of doctrine? Soundness of conviction? The soundness of Christ? Where is the soundness of the power? Because doctrine is the teachings. There is the teachings. The doctrines of power. The doctrines of faith. The doctrines of God. The presence of God. The person of God. The teachings of God. The ways of God. Like John the Baptist. You're not afraid of anything. You just go. You can care less what their reactions are. Where are the, the holy men and women of God? Where are they? Where are the Esthers, the Ruths, the Deborahs, the Mary, the Marthas, the Miriams? Where's the Elijahs, the Samuels, the Moses? Where's the Peters and the Johns? Where are they? The world is crying for the holy men and women of God to go like prophets to stand up and say thus saith the Lord and show them the power of God amongst the doctrine of God and they went everywhere preaching the word and the Lord working with them confirming the word with signs following but we're so so drunk on the outward physical maintenance that we've completely sacrificed and abandoned the understanding of the eternal power of faith of the heart. We get we get everything turned around that we even we even examine our salvation by are you doing this thing over here right or not? Well, you didn't do. You're not doing. You're not doing. So therefore, your salvation is called the question because you're not doing. It's about the heart. The conviction of heart. It's not about the suits. It's not about the tinsel and the tapestry. It's not about the physical fruits. It's about the fruits of the Spirit of God within you. Where's the signs following? Where's the conviction? Where's the power? Where's the weight? Where's the devotion of the sanctified Spirit of love of the Lord Jesus Christ? That, that you are 100% content with Christ alone, that even if the whole world stripped you of absolutely everything, like Saul, like like, uh, like Paul and Silas in, in the dungeon, chained up in the stocks, you're crying out the praises of God from the truth to the sincerity of heart. Where is that in you? Where's sound doctrine? Sound faith? Belief of the teachings? Belief of the promises? Belief of the word of God. That what he says is absolute. And I'm, and you can't shake me. Because I built my house on the solid rock. Not the sand. But speak thou. What do you talk about? When you talk about Jesus. How do you talk about it? When you talk about the word of God. How do you talk about it? When you talk about the doctrines. The teachings. The principles of the Lord. How do you talk about it? How do you talk about your doctrine? Your doctrine. What is your doctrine? What is Christianity to you? What is faith and belief to you? Is it the maintenance of the outward or is it the maintenance of the inward? Now you may say it's of the inward. Is it really?
Where is the conviction? Where is the fire? Where is the willingness to go to the burning, fiery furnace because you know that the fourth, like with the appearance of the Son of God, is standing in there, and it doesn't matter what fire that the world pours upon you, you know that the fourth, standing there walking around, will hold you and keep you and protect you and preserve you, and, and is the one that perseveres in holding you. You don't need to worry about a thing. Then when they throw you in the Colosseum and they unleash the lions, you don't worry about it. Because you know that the Lion of Judah holds your soul and you know where you're going and you don't care what anyone else says. You don't care what anyone else does. You don't fear him which can kill the body. You fear him which can kill both body and soul in hell. You fear the Lord. You fear, fear the living God because you love him and you only care about him and you couldn't care less about anything about this world other than the lost souls and the encouragement of the saints and the building of the church to the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Where's the determination? Where's the boldness? We talk about the perseverance of the saints. Where's the perseverance of soundness? Where's the perseverance of true dedication of the love of the heart? That which will get you stirred up. It's, a, it's good to get worked up about a good thing. But we're too afraid to. Too many of the Christians are long-faced, horse-faced, emotionless, passionless zombies in the, in the Christian faith in the churches. They'll hardly speak up. They won't even shout amen in the sermon because they're too afraid what others might think. Other Christians who say they love Jesus Christ, you're afraid what they might do or say or what they might think if you shout amen to the preaching of the word. Think about that one just for a moment, folks. It makes no sense. You won't raise your hand, you won't say anything, you won't do anything because you think that you're sitting there like a statued zombie is more, more, more glorifying of the Lord. How does that work? Please explain to me the logic of that reasoning. You're telling me the word of God doesn't get you worked up to want to shout amen? You're telling me the preaching of the cross doesn't get you so worked up and stirred up you don't shout hallelujah? You're telling me you can hear about the powers of God, the truth of God unto salvation is holding you for all eternity, is saving you from the fires of hell, his perseverance in protecting and guiding you, the blessings and the power of God upon your life, that he's with you in all things and you won't even shout amen? That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong with modern Christianity today. They're shouting amen to the wrong things. They're giving the mind to the wrong things and they're saving all their passion. They're saving all their emotion for other things. Not God's. I want you to just dwell on that one just for a moment. They'll shout and scream at the television for the stupid football game. But you won't shout and scream and lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare the praises of God at the, in, amongst the teaching of God. You won't lift up your voice publicly and speak about the cross to the unsaved souls on the way to hell. But you'll shout for your favorite sports team. You'll lift up your voice and raise your hands to your favorite band and your favorite music. You'll sing out loud to the radio, but you'll hardly sing with passion in the church. That's what's wrong. 
soundness of doctrine is missing soundness of faith is missing you want to know how to live in this present evil world you need to combat evil with the praises of god would you join with Elijah on Mount Carmel and, and speaking the praises of God and mocking the prophets of Baal? Would you sit there and, and just you know pull, pull your hat down? Uh, don't, don't pay attention to me. Don't look at me. And Elijah's going off and you feel embarrassed. When the, when the saint next to you shouts amen, lifts up the hands in the praises of God, does that embarrass you? Wait a minute. Let me rephrase that. When a person feels the moving of the Spirit upon them and they start praising the Lord amongst the singing and the preaching and the teaching, do you feel a form of embarrassment about that? And you call yourself a devoted, loving servant of God and you feel embarrassment over someone else praising God. Are you for real? Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, not dead, dry, zombie Christianity. We're supposed to be living, passionate, zealous, emotional saints of God that it stirs us up. If the word of God, the preaching of God, the gospel of our Lord God, Jesus Christ, doesn't get you worked up, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. If this doesn't get you stirred up, I don't know what will. If the cross doesn't, you're dead as a doornail. There's something seriously wrong with you. If it doesn't almost bring you to tears, if you don't shed tears for the lost, if you don't shed, shed tears out of your love for Christ, if your heart doesn't beat at the, at the preaching of the power of God, if your heart doesn't break at hearing what he went through for you, if your heart doesn't shake, and you think of how close you came to the condemnation of your heart doesn't cry out when you think about how he saved you from it. When you read the word of God and how far the Lord will go for the lost, how far he'll go for his children. If that doesn't move you, there's something wrong with you. You need a revival. You need a revival because you're dead. Your faith is dead, your understanding is dead, your preaching's dead, and that's what's wrong with most churches because the preaching is as dry and as emotionless and it's just focused on the physical and there's no power. That's what the world finds unbelievable. That's why they don't believe us because they look at the churches and all it is is just arguments of dry doctrine with no power thereof. Dry doctrine, not sound doctrine. It is arguments of intellectualism. And there's no power of the living God. You're talking about a person. You're not presenting the person. There's a big difference, folks, in evangelism of preaching Jesus Christ and declaring the person, showing the person, talking about versus introducing do you talk about like he's way over there, he's over in the other town, he's back at the church building and he's and he's not with you currently? How do you introduce him? How do you talk about him? Look at verse 7, in all things showing thyself a pattern. A pattern. A pattern of what? Faith, belief, doctrine, fervency. True belief. 
a pattern of true belief. The good works. What shall we do? They might work the works of God. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Because you truly, truly do love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Naturally, instinctually, out of you will flow the springs of living water, the good works, the deeds. It just comes as a natural byproduct. But we get so focused on the byproduct, we miss where it's supposed to come from. So because there's no power, we have to feel that we have to create the good works. Instead of, instead of looking at the Holy Spirit to do the good works through us. That we're the originators of the good works, not Him. See what I mean? You see what I mean? It's not about the arguments. It's not about the teachings itself per se. It's more than just words on the page. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. It's the teachings of the person that all teachings are to be Christ-centric. That when you present the teachings, you're presenting just yet another angle, another aspect of the person of Jesus Christ. If you're not seeing the person of Jesus Christ in everything, You've missed the point because it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about his power, his hold, his doing. He's the sanctifier, not you. The people, the Christians, the professed Christians and the preachers that say that you on some level need to maintain, you need to keep, that you have to do, that you have to work a form of sanctification yourself are completely off the rocker. They've completely missed it. He's the sanctifier. We're not because we have no goodness in us because we're absolute abject failures at absolutely everything because there's no goodness in us, no righteousness in us. We have nothing. We are incapable. We're incompetent. That's why he holds, he does, he works, he saves, he justifies, he sanctifies, he consecrates, he, he teaches, he does it all. He's the Redeemer, not us. He's the goodness, not me. He's the Redeemer, not me. He justifies, not me. He sanctifies, not me. It's his wisdom, not mine. It's his knowledge, not mine. I don't know anything. I mess everything up. It's all about him. How do we live in this present evil world? We die to self. We live to the glory of God. We become Gideons for Christ. We become servants of the Most High God. We become preachers of the living God. We become a royal priesthood for the living God. We shout the praises of the Lord. We blow the trumpets of the victory of the Lord. We lift up our voices like a trumpet and declare to the people the air of their ways. Passion drives determination. Passion drives love. Show me a passionless relationship. They don't talk about each other. They hardly spend time with each other. They hardly boast about each other. They, they hardly care for each other. Oh, they might talk from time to time, but there's no intimacy. And that's the description of the majority of professed Christians' relationships with Christ. Now, you go to church out of obligation. 
You read your Bible and pray out of obligation. You hand out the tracts out of obligation. You do the works out of obligation because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And you've been guilt-tripped by the preacher that, well, if I don't, there's something wrong with me. Instead of looking at your own personal heart and examining yourself and not doing it because you think you have to, you're doing it because you want to, because you actually want to, because you actually love them. Like Paul Washer and all the rest of those kind of guys, they're guilt trip preachers. That's all they are. They focus on the outward. They focus on the outward. They focus on the actions, the practices, the do's. If you're not doing this, if you're not doing that, you're not doing this, there's something wrong with you. Instead of looking at the beginning, the belief, the belief of the person. They're focused on the religion. They're focused on the actions. The Christ says to focus on the heart. It's not what enters the men that defiles that comes out of the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's about love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what he did for you. You go back to this and you look at the day one, square one, when you first got born again saved. Why did you get saved in the first place? Why did you believe on him in the first place? Why? Why would you believe on him and then do nothing about it? Why would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and not want to carry him with you? Why would you call upon him whom they, whom they have pierced, who gave his life's blood for your salvation, went through all of that shame for your salvation to save you from the condemnation of your sin that you deserve the punishment? He saved you by grace and it doesn't move you? Why? Why would you believe on someone and do nothing and say you believe on him and then do nothing about it? You're just deceiving yourself, are you not, about your discipleship? Go back to the beginning. Look at where you were going, what was happening, what he did for you. Look at this. Hang your face over hell for just 30 seconds, folks. Actually ask him. Ask the Spirit of God to let you hear smell, see, and sense hell. The wrath of God. The wrath of God that you deserved. Now look at the sheer grace and mercy of the nail-scarred hands. Look about, Look at the whips now the plowed furrows on his back, the, thorn, the crown of thorns. Look at how they beat him, they mistreat him, and they nailed him to the cross. Look at what he went through, the blood shed. Look at the resurrection morning. Look at him standing before you, holding out the nail-scarred hands and says, I have saved you, you are mine. And tell me that that doesn't shake you to your core. That doesn't knock you right to your knees and bow your head and pour your heart out. And then you pour the tears of thankfulness and the love of Christ comes out. Tell me that it doesn't move you. That's what you look at. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your religiosity. Stop looking at your churchianity. Stop looking at you maintaining the works. Stop looking at you keeping yourself connected to the vine. Stop looking at you and your hold on the cross. Stop looking at your works, your law keeping, your righteousness. Stop looking at you. Start looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't Peter's strength that made him walk on the water. It was Christ. It wasn't the disciples' ability to cast out devils. It was Christ. 
Now, it's not your ability to save yourself, maintain your salvation, atone for your own sins. It's Christ. It's not your grace. It's His. It's not your sanctification. It's His. It's not your power. It's His. It's not your love. It's His. It's the love of Christ manifested through you. Sound doctrine, i.e., sound belief. Sound belief. Passionate, fervent, zealous, sincere, heart wrenching, shaking to your core, stoking of fire like Pentecost. When the Spirit of God came upon them, they were moved. How in all that is holy can someone have the Spirit of God upon them and they not be moved? They not be shaken to their core? They not be brought under conviction? They not have the desire to want to serve? They have not the desire of righteousness, the hate of unrighteousness, the love of the Word of God? Show me how an individual can be indwelt by the Spirit of the living God and there be no sign or evidence. They say, well, the prodigal son, he had evidence. It may not always be outwardly visible, but there's evidence nonetheless. There is the remembrance, the conviction, and the repentance. He got up and he returned, did he not? And he loved his father, did he not? He embraced his father, did he not? And he accepted the, the, what his father said, did he not? There is a desire for humbleness, was there not? It was there. The evidence may not always be outwardly visible, but I'm talking about on a personal level. I'm talking about you, individually, you, that no one else can see. Where's the brokenheartedness? Where's the true determination? Because your flesh wants to squelch it. Your flesh wants to shut it down. Your flesh is absolutely ashamed of it. Your flesh is ashamed of your faith. Your flesh is ashamed of Jesus Christ. Your flesh hates praying, hates reading, hates church, hates charity. Your flesh is a selfish, self-righteous, conceited devil. Wants nothing of the Lord. That's your flesh. And too many Christians are allowing their flesh to control their faith. That's what's wrong with you. We're supposed to subdue the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. But too many Christians are allowing their flesh to control their praise. Their flesh control their reading. Their flesh control their praying. Their flesh control their evangelism. Their flesh control their witnessing. The flesh control the preaching. The flesh control your passion. You are letting your flesh control your spirit. That's why we're supposed to walk in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, think in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, not the flesh. But we're letting the flesh control our faith. 
you're letting the flesh interpret the flesh uh, interpret the faith as religion instead of determination of passion of a person the flesh rewrites it and refocuses it over onto you and your physical works when it's supposed to be focused on christ and his works through you do you understand do you understand this do you see this does this move you does this not move you how you can look in the face of the son of god and then look down at his nail scarred hands like thomas and it not drop you to your knees and you can look over your shoulder and you see the flames of hell and you see the charred footprints of you being pulled out being drawn out and you see where you were changed the moment he changed you washed you clean and you look you no longer smell like smoke you no longer have the char of the fire but you're changed made new regenerated birthed in christ washed clean saved sealed forgiven for all eternity by the power of the son of god by his hold on you and that doesn't move you then what is Christianity to you? What is it to you? Or is it something mystical? It's something supernatural. It's of spirit, not flesh. It's of faith, not religion. It's of the inward, not the outward. It's of the person of Jesus Christ and has nothing to do with me. It's his boast, not mine. How do you see the faith? doctrines are you preaching what are you believing words on a page the adherence to intellectual reasoning or is it acceptance of the reality of the son of god of his promises of his power as he is god and there is none else the lord our god is one lord do you love him Second Timothy chapter two, part one. It's a question, folks, that we are to ask ourselves. We can easily forget. In this world, it is easy to get distracted it's easy to get off the mark it's easy to forget so what do we do to bring ourselves back to where we're supposed to be we remember we remember the son of god as person more than words on a page as a person more than just old stories and acceptance and adherences of of just what I'm told, of just what I what I hear, of old story. It's alive, it's real, it's here, it's now. It's who I am presently, right now, in Him presently, as He is, the Infinite One, the Almighty, the Eternal One. He is real, He's true, His name is Jesus Christ, and He stands right before me, and I serve Him, I worship Him, it's true, it's real, and I feel it. If you don't feel the passion, the love. You need to go back. 
You need to examine where you came from. You need to relive the moment. Call it, call it back into question of why did you believe in him in the first place? Hang your face over hell and look at the reality. The true reality. This world is not the true reality. This world is putty that is molded by the hands of praying faith. Uh, the power of God is not held to the laws of physics. This world, yes, we live in it, but we are not of it. We're servants of the Lord, not of the world. Citizens of heaven, not the world. We're children of the Most High God, disciples of the living God, standing up like prophets, declaring to the people the air of their ways, to bring them to the understanding that their eyes would be opened, that they would truly look upon Him whom they have pierced. Does that not move you? If it doesn't, you don't feel that passion. You don't feel that conviction. If that doesn't break you and bring you before the Lord on your knees and calling out to the Lord for mercy and help and strength and forgiveness, ask the Lord to cleanse you, to help you, to strengthen you, to teach you out of the heart. If it doesn't emotionally move you, then there's something wrong with your faith. There's something wrong with your outlook. Something has got between you and Christ. Someone has come in and seduced you away from Christ, and you're giving your intimacy to something else. Give that some thought. Give that some thought. So what do we do? What I tell people, what I tell people, go to your room, turn off your phone, close the windows, close the doors, get away from all distractions and everything. Grab your Bible, not your phone, grab your Bible, kneel down, and revisit day one. Hang your face over hell for a moment and look at where you came from and examine everything he did for you and, and re-examine why did I believe on him in the first place. Relive the moment. Call upon Christ to deliver you from yourself. Pour out your heart to God and rekindle the faith. Rekindle the faith that you lost. Pick up the fire that you dropped, the torch you dropped, and come back. Crawl out of that pen. Crawl over that fence. Walk down that road. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to curse you. He's not going to slap you. He's not going to push you away. He's going to run to you. He's going to embrace you. And all the mud and the manure, he's going to throw his arms around you and kiss you on the cheek, call you his child, put on you a clean robe and throw a part and the angels will rejoice. That's what he's going to do. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't ignore you. He doesn't... Uh, he doesn't cast you away. He doesn't forsake you. We forsake him. We walk away from him. We weaken our passion. He doesn't his. God's passion is eternal, is forever. He never lets us go, even though we let go of him. The shepherd does not forsake the sheep. The sheep ignore the shepherd. 
So what I'm, what I'm calling you to do is to return to the shepherd. To not be just content to be on the outer fringes of the herd, but get right up against his leg. Get right there between his leg and his staff. Be that close to his hand. That you're not content with anything else. You want to be right there. You want to hear him even when he whispers. You want to feel every time he moves. You want to be right there. You want to hear him. You want to be with him. You want to walk with him. You want to see his, the color of his eyes. You want to feel his breath on your face. You want the Son of God, his nail-scarred hands, to, to hold your hands. You want to be that close. You're not content. We're not content with just reaching and brushing the fringes of his garment. You want to hold his hands like Thomas. You want to put your hand in the spiral in his side. You want to truly see and know the Son of God. Know him. You say you love him. Prove it. You say you love him. Prove it. He says, come to me. All ye that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to his rest. Come to his hands. Come to his feet. Grab him by the feet and worship him. Worship the Son of God. Don't just tip your hat. Don't wave to your buddy. Grab the feet of the, of the living God. The nail-scarred feet of the living God. Wash his feet with your tears. Dry them with your hair. Bow before the Lord and worship Him as He truly is. Get to know Him. You say you believed in, in Him. You trusted in the gospel of Him for, to save you. But do you know Him intimately? Him who you believed in. Have you learned yet the depth of the love of the Son of God? Have you learned the depth of the mercy of the grace of the living God? Have you, have you examined the, the splinters from the cross embedded in the back of Christ. Do you know him? This is what the scriptures are calling us for, calling us to, is a knowledge of a person, an, an understanding of a person, the belief in the intimacy of a person, the living God. Uh, the Lord God Almighty fashioned a body for himself to indwell so he could show himself to us. How long have I been with you, Philip, and you do not yet know me? Replace Philip's name with yours. Jesus says, how long have I been with you and you do not yet know me? How long have you been with Christ? And do you really, honestly, sincerely know him? Do you really know him? Is your doctrine of him sound? So I hope, I hope this has given you something to think about. I hope this stirs you up. I hope this moves you. I hope this convicts you. I hope that this does convict you. If you are born again saved, I'm calling you to fall before the Lord in truth and sincerity and examine your faith to see wherein it lies 
to examine your intimacy, your love of him. If you are not saved and you're hearing this and you feel the conviction, you want to get to know him, stop looking at the religion. Stop looking at the buildings and look at Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about works. It's not about righteous works. It's not about law keeping. It's not about the religiosity. not about churchianity. It's not about the do's and the do-nots. It's about the Son of God. It's about Jesus Christ and His love for you. His desire to save you, to regenerate you, to bring you to Him. For you to know Him, the living God. That your sins have separated you from Him. And He wants to bring you back. But your sins must be dealt with. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God. He's willing to do all the work for you if you would just but believe on him. It's not about church membership. It's not about signing agreements. It's not about any of that. It's about belief. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And, and that in whom we have believed, he will save us by the riches of his grace. It's about grace and faith, not works. Grace and faith, not of yourselves. Grace and faith. Unmerited favor by believing trust. And the Son of God reveals himself to us. He gives us an understanding. That we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And eternal life. Amen. With that, wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up, make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. You know, we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content and other Bible studies and walkthroughs, everything, as well as we have on our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and accounts and goodies and whatnot on our site, as well as free downloadable gospel track PDFs and e-tracks. Make sure you avail yourself to that. Get busy. And then show others the truth of the living God. Show others the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get busy. Show them the Lord doesn't need our works your neighbor does the lord knows your heart and knows your faith your neighbor doesn't so prove it to them show them so that they would come and ask you about the hope within you get busy why not so with that hope it's been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you if you appreciate this again show your support share this around Share this video around to others uh, and uh, to get them stirred up about the faith. We need a revival, folks. We need a revival and bad. We need a revival. And revival start in the hearts of the ones praying for it. For tell me, how does a revival start from a heart of wood? Revival start in the heart of the one who's praying for it. So let revival start in us. Get ourselves revived. And then share it. Watch it happens. So God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always. If I don't see you again. I'll see you in the sky. God bless.